Hi everyone. I'd love you to have that outline handy and grab a pen because if for no other reason you'll want to circle this verse and put it above your studies. Of the making of many books there is no end and much study wearies the body. <laughs> there you go. There's some encouragement coming exam time. Let me pray for us again. Now, Heavenly Father, uh, we do pray. Would you speak to us again by your word today? Uh, would you show us where true happiness is found? Uh, Father, we pray that you bring all glory to yourself. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I want to read you something from uh, over a hundred years ago. Uh, the start of the best thing I think I've ever read on happiness. Ask me about it later in <coughs> the rest of the time if you like. It begins this way. Uh, an infidel, uh, pink atheist, uh, was once addressing a crowd of people in the open air. And he was trying to persuade them that there was no God, no devil, no heaven. No hell, no resurrection, no judgment, and no life to come. He advised them to throw away their Bibles and not to mind what their pastors said. He recommended them to think as he did and to be like him. And he talked boldly and the crowd listened eagerly. They hung on every word. But in the middle of his address, a poor old woman suddenly pushed her way through the crowd to the place where he was standing and she stood before him she looked him full in the face and she said sir in a loud voice are you happy the infidel looked scornfully at her and gave no answer sir she said again i ask you to answer my question are you happy you want us to throw away our bibles you you tell us not to believe what the pastors say about religion you advise us to think as you do and be like you now, before we take your advice, we have a right to know what good we shall get by it. Did your fine new notion give you comfort? Do you really find yourself happy? Well, the, the infidel stopped, uh, attempted to answer the old woman's question. He, he stammered, uh, he shuffled, he, he fidgeted, he, he explained, attempted to explain his meaning. He, he tried hard to turn from the subject. He said he hadn't come to preach about such things. She insisted. Her question must be answered. Are you happy, she said. And soon the crowd took her side. She pressed him hard. She would take no excuse. And at last, the infidel was obliged to leave the platform he was speaking and just sneak off in confusion. He could not reply to her question. His conscience would not let him. He dared not say <coughs> that he was happy. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been asking the question, where do we find ultimate happiness? Where do we find what this man lacked? Where do we find what truly satisfies the soul? And as we started the series, you might remember, there were two things we noticed. And the first is just how important this question is. Especially now. Especially for you. After all, our culture is obsessed with happiness. Our generation insists you have to be happy. We judge what's right simply by asking the question, does it make you happy? That's how important this is. <coughs> Second thing we notice is that there is a teacher in the Bible 
who also asks much the same as that question. And not just in theory, as if kind of musing to himself with pipe in hand, you know, I wonder what it would take to be truly happy. And not in some weirdly religious way with no connection to real life, but instead in practice, in real life, by actually testing all the things we always look to to try to find happiness. By actually doing all the things that you and I assume would certainly make us happy if only we could do them too. And what does he find to this most important of questions? <coughs> well, as we've seen over the last few weeks, again and again and again, first for life in general, and then for all its parts, and then finally in the face of death, he finds nothing. Do you remember? There is nothing in this life that can give you meaning for this life. There is nothing in this life that can make you ultimately happy. Now, don't get me wrong, he says. Do you remember? It's not that life is bad. It's just that it's a bad place for finding meaning. It's not that life is wrong. It's just the, the wrong place to look for ultimate happiness. And I hope you remember that over the last few weeks, what we've seen is he's not the only one who says this. Again and again and again. So many people who make it to the top of the mountain, to the summit, if you like, uh, whether it's the mountain of wealth or the mountain of fame or the mountain of success or the mountain of pleasure, what do they tell us even from up there? Well, they say it's not enough. It doesn't work. There must be more. You see, it's just as Marcus Parson found it. I don't know if you know his story. Uh, Marcus <coughs> Parson is the founder of the incredibly popular, just ask my children, uh, Minecraft game. Uh, and what did he do? Well, he went on to sell that game, wait for it, I don't know if you heard this, for $2.5 billion to Microsoft. And then he went ahead and bought himself a $70 million mansion complete with a massive wall of candy, as you do when you, you know. And yet, what did he tweet not long after? I've never felt more isolated. I've never felt more alone. And you see, that's what, it like, what it's like, says the teacher. That's life. On the one hand, it's a gift. But on the other, it's a mist. On the one hand, it's good. But if you try to build on it, you will fall straight through. And so the question we're left with, the question you're supposed to be left with by this stage in this book is, well, then what? You know, if not here, then where? If not all of this, then what? Where can we look to find ultimate meaning, ultimate happiness? And I want to say that's what the teacher finally tells you in that great little chapter there in front of you. At last he comes, or so he says, to the conclusion of the matter in the pursuit of happiness. And here's what he says. If you want to be ultimately happy, one, remember your creator. Remember your creator. Now, two words, desperately important. Do you want to understand what he's saying here? There's only three words in it. But anyway, two words. And the first is that word, creator. Remember your creator, he says. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't merely say, remember your God. And he could have. It's true. He is. 
He doesn't merely say, remember your king, which of course, again, he is. No, deliberately and carefully, what does he say? He says, remember your creator. In other words, if you want to be happy, remember the one who made you, who designed you, who knows you, even better than you know yourself. You know, so often when God's spoken about in our society, and and perhaps even, I think, when we think of him ourselves, it's often as if God doesn't really belong. You know, or as if maybe God wouldn't really know. You know, as if he's you and me in this kind of you know, perfectly fine world and we're all doing well all by ourselves and then along comes God with his out-of-place ideas, with his dark black hat and his dark black shirt and he's kind of downer all the time. Along comes God with his arbitrary impositions. And of course we think, you know, what would he know? What would he know? He'd know everything. He'd know what's right. And he'd want what's right more than anyone ever has or will. He'd know what's good. And he'd want what's good more than anyone ever has or will. Why? Because he's the one who invented life. He's the one who made this world and made you. He's the creator. He's the one who knows this world and who knows you. He's the creator. He's the one who loves this world and loves you. He's your creator. And so do you see, if you want to find meaning in this life, if you want to be happy in this life, then you've got to go to him, the teacher says. You've got to remember him. Second, we need to understand, if we're going to understand just this little three-sentence phrase, is that word remember. Uh, what does that word mean? Uh, well, in the way it's used here, it means more, more than just bring to mind. You know, as if you're sitting there one day and the sun was shining, the birds are chirping, you go, huh, oh yeah, I have a creator. How cool is that? And then you move on. Now here it's the idea of always remember. And more than that, always remember in a way that changes how you live. Some of you might remember way back in Exodus chapter 2, God remembers his covenant with his people. He remembers his promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And what happens next? Well, what happens next is God acts in light of his remembering. He rescues his people and brings them to himself. And, and you see, as it was for God, so it should be for you, the teacher says. If you want to be truly, deeply happy, then you need to remember your all-knowing, all-loving creator. You need to remember in such a way that it actually changes how you live. You need to remember in such a way that it actually changes who you live for. See, here's what the teacher says. Stop pretending that this life is a closed system with just you and your world. Stop living in this miserable, selfish existence and instead turn back to him to the one who made you, knows you, loves you. You know, the great uh, Christian thinker, St. Augustine, once wrote, and it's been quoted so many times, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
And for his honesty, that's absolutely right. And so remember your creator. And when? You know, when you're uh, old and serious, uh, a, a bit like Dan, maybe. There he is. Uh, when death comes to you and it's time, no, no, time to do business with God. When you've had your fun. I've had this conversation with students on campus. When you've had your fun and it's time then to think about God. Is it? No, says the teacher. Do it now. In the days of your youth. As you set the direction for the rest of your life. As you choose the foundations for the rest of your life. Choose well, the teacher says, and choose now. Before old age wears you down, before your death takes you down. In verses 1 to 8, there you have a look at verses 1 to 8, there's this beautiful poetic picture of old age taking hold. And again, I know you can't imagine it coming to you with your youthful optimism and your still perky self. But friends, unless you die young, or Jesus comes first, this is you, all right? Destination this, population you. When verse 1 there, the years approach and you say, I find no pleasure in them. Friends, that's you. Verse 2, the air suddenly seems cold and it's damp and dark and it's hard to get warm. That's you. Verse 3, like an old derelict building, you too fall apart. And again, I know you don't think it will happen to you. Just like I didn't think it will happen to me. But guess what? Right now, it's happening to me. And it'll happen to you too. Where once you had hair, you'll have no more. Where once you had none, even there you'll get it. And that's not to mention gravity. Gravity always wins. Just take it from me, there you go. It's only a matter of time. And so that's the teacher's point. Old age is coming. Your death is coming. When verse 6, the cotton thin thread that keeps you alive is inevitably cut. And the, and the bowl of your life falls and breaks. When the cup that is you is finally shattered, uh, when like a, a broken wheel you lurch to one side. Or verse 7, when the dust that's you returns to the ground. The spirit that's you returns to God. That's your future, the teacher says. And so remember your creator now when you still have time to set your direction. You still have time to build your foundation toward God, on God. After all, you see, to do anything else will only leave you saying, as the teacher himself says there, verse 8, Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. See, if you want to be happy, or at least as happy as you can be, in the confusion and brokenness of this world, then first, you need to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Second, you need to fear God and obey His commandments. You need to remember the one who made you in the beginning... And you need to remember the one you'll face in the end. And as you do, you need to obey this one here in the middle. You need to live for this one in the here and now. Have a look there, verse 13. Jump down, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments. For this is the duty, or perhaps better, this is the essence of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. I think it was the great philosophers uh, Mumford and Sons uh, who once said, Awake my soul! Awake my soul! You were made to meet your maker. And you see, the teacher agrees. It's why you were made. You were made to meet the one who made you. And you see, because of that, you were made to fear this one and obey this one. Now, I want to admit right now that at first that almost sounds like the opposite of happiness, don't you think? Fearing and obeying. I'm not sure what you think about when you think happiness, but I'm pretty sure for me fear and obedience don't leap to mind. But, but see, the teacher says don't be fooled and don't be put off. If you want to be truly happy, this is what you need to do. You need to fear God. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to shake with terror. Um, although, let's be honest, when it comes to God, that wouldn't be entirely inappropriate. But Now, what it means is that you need to treat God as God. You need to say to him, You are God, I am not. You are maker, I am made. You are judge, I am judged. And again, I want to say at first that hardly sounds like the key to happiness. But I can tell you from personal experience, as I'm sure lots of others in the room can, it is. After deep down, you and I know, don't we, that we don't rule this world. I mean, come on, we can't even rule ourselves, can we? At least in the way we'd like to. And the good news is from Ecclesiastes, indeed, all over the Bible, we don't have to. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to rule the world. What you have to do is respond rightly to the one who does. To relate rightly to the one who does. And what does that look like? Well, first of all, it begins with acknowledging he is God, we are not. And second, it looks like obeying him. Obeying his very good laws and his very good commands. Obeying the very words he has given for your good. I think it was John Stott who wrote once, True freedom is the freedom to be one's true self. As God made us and meant us to be. You see, it's only in knowing him and obeying him that we can find that freedom. That's where the deep happiness that even endures deep sadness comes from. And how do we know him? In fact, ultimately, how do we obey him? Well, we do it, as I know lots of you know, and the New Testament will go on to show us in Jesus. After all, it's only in Jesus, in the pages of the New Testament, that we fully meet this God. And I want to say we therefore find true meaning. The New Testament makes clear in places like John 1, Colossians 1, that it's, it's Jesus who is our maker, that all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. 
New Testament will also make clear in places like Acts 17 or, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 that it's Jesus who is and will be our judge. That, that it's he who will judge the living and the dead. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. And therefore, you see, as we follow the trajectory of Ecclesiastes into the New Testament, he is the one we must look to in our prayers, in his word, among his people, every day. If we want true happiness, the Bible says it can only be found in knowing Jesus. He's the one who must have the absolute center place in our life. If anything and everything else is to make sense. In some ways, it reminds me of a great story. I say great, anyway, it reminds me of a story about two boys who were sitting bored on a rainy day and decided to do a jigsaw puzzle. In my house, that would show you how bored they are. Anyway, uh, as the story goes, they made no progress and the puzzle makes no sense until one of them did the novel thing of turning over the lid on the box and looking at the picture on the other side. Uh, and what was it? Well, apparently it was a medieval court scene with a king in the centre. And as the story goes, one of the boy, boys cries out, Now I see it! The king is in the middle! And once they recognise that, everything else fell into place. Everything else made sense. You see, friends, I want to say that's what God says too. Again and again in his word. And I think it's where the teacher's been leading us as well. Away from all those things we naturally look to to give us meaning and to give us happiness. Away from all those things that all the ads tell you to go to look for meaning, to look for happiness. Away from all those things that everyone else on this campus goes to to look for meaning and look for happiness. And it tells you to go to the King. <coughs> to go to Jesus. And I know it sounds all too simplistic and very, very Sunday school and a little too Christian. But I want to tell you it's not. Because he is the one you were made by. And he is the one you were made for. And he is the one who can make God known. Because he is the one who answers your deepest questions and can resolve your deepest fears and grant your deepest hopes. Because he's the one who can bring you to God. It is in knowing Jesus that true and lasting happiness is found. He is the one we must direct our lives toward and build our lives upon. I'm going to pray about that right now and I'd love you to ask some questions. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that it's in him, our maker, our judge, the one who shows us you, that we can find the true deep happiness that can even endure the sadness of life, the true deep happiness that so many other things promise but fail to give. And Father, we pray that all of us would keep coming to him, Keep trusting him and not be persuaded to go anywhere else. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.